In 1909, Oxford University Press published the Schofield Reference Bible. It went on to become probably the most popular and influential study Bible among fundamentalists and conservative evangelical Christians. In that study Bible, there is a footnote on Genesis 9. Genesis 9 is the story of Noah and his three sons, Ham, Shem, and Japheth. And there's a footnote on the story of Ham, how he dishonors his father Noah. And as a result, Noah curses Ham's son, Canaan. And this is what the Schofield Reference Bible says in that footnote at Genesis 9. It says, it's a prophetic declaration is made that from Ham will descend an inferior and servile posterity. Now, these are not the words of God. This is a man's opinion of what Genesis 9 means. And the reason why it's so striking is because it enshrined in that study Bible something that's known as the Hamitic curse. And the Hamitic curse was the theory that because Africans are descended from Ham, therefore they are an inferior people group and it was okay to enslave them, mistreat them, or neglect them. Do you see that? An inferior and servile posterity. This mindset was still present in 1964 when Senator, then Senator Robert Byrd, stood on the floor of the U.S. Senate and quoted Genesis 9 and the Hamitic curse interpretation of Genesis 9 as part of his filibuster in an attempt to stop the Civil Rights Act from passing. When Lisa and I lived in Dallas, we went to a predominantly African-American church and our pastor, Tony Evans, got up one Sunday and he mentioned this thing called the Hamitic curse and he preached against it. And he talked about the fact that in his lifetime growing up, in the circles in which he operated, there were people who thought because his skin was black that he was cursed by God and destined to be inferior to white people. And he sat there preaching about this and how it was wrong. It was not the correct interpretation of Genesis 9. And I remember sitting there thinking, no, nobody actually thinks this, do they? Nobody actually thinks that Africans or African-Americans are cursed somehow by God. But it's true, some people did. Some people do. Now, not only is this a horrible interpretation of Genesis 9, in Genesis 9, it's not the African son of Ham that's cursed. It's the Middle Eastern son of Ham. It's Canaan who actually gets the curse. And that curse gets fulfilled when Israel invades the Canaanite people in the promised land, and that's the end of the curse. But sitting there listening to it, not only is it a terrible interpretation of Genesis 9, it's worse than that. It obscures the fact that the Bible actually goes out of its way to affirm God's love and faithfulness to people of African descent.
Isaiah 18, the passage we're going to look at this morning, is just one of those such passages where God speaks directly to the people of Africa and to those of African descent affirming his love and his faithfulness to them. And this morning we have the opportunity to look at what God actually has to say. Now I don't begin to believe that simply a sermon can undo the damage of an interpretation that said if you were an African descendant of Ham you were somehow inferior and it was okay for someone to go into slavery as a result of that. But it's important for you and I as we go through the scriptures to understand what it is God actually says about his love and faithfulness to Africans and also to Egyptians and to Assyrians and to all peoples of the earth. So I'd like to invite you to take a Bible and turn to the book of Isaiah chapter 18. Isaiah 18. If you don't have a Bible with you, we invite you to just grab one from the rack in front of you. In those Bibles, it's page 567. We're actually going to be looking at Isaiah 18 and Isaiah 19. They both have the same theme and idea that go together. What we're going to be able to see in Isaiah 18 is that God speaks directly to and about those of African descent. Now, of course, all passages of the Bible are applicable to Africans and to Egyptians and to Assyrians and to all people of the earth. But it's important to stop and notice that there are passages of the Bible that directly acknowledge and address those who come from African descent. And we're going to see in chapter 19 that God also addresses Egyptians and Assyrians directly. You see, sometimes when you read the Old Testament especially, you can think that God simply is interested in Israel and that he has no interest in anybody else or only is interested in other nations in the ways in which they interact with Israel. Let me tell you, nothing could be further from the truth. And so this morning we have the opportunity to hear God speak directly to uh, those of African, Assyrian, Egyptian descent, and really all peoples of the earth. Isaiah 18, we begin in verses 1 and 2. Woe to the land of whirring wings along the rivers of Cush, which sends envoys by the sea and papyrus boats over the water. Go swift messengers to a people tall and smooth-skinned, to a people feared far and wide, an aggressive nation of strange speech whose land is divided by rivers. God is speaking directly about and to the region of Cush. The region of Cush represents what we know today as Sudan, South Sudan, Ethiopia, Eritrea, and Djibouti, that general region of Africa. And what he's speaking to, those who are tall and smooth-skinned, he's speaking to black Africans. He says, woe, because what's going on in Cush at the time is we believe a foreign nation has invaded this region of Africa, most likely the Assyrians, the same people who are going to cause Israel trouble later in the book of Isaiah. 
And God understands and recognizes that in the midst of this section of black Africa, they are experiencing the woes and the difficulties of being invaded by a foreign power. We go on in verse 3 of Isaiah 18. All you people of the world, you who live on the earth, so that's all of us, when a banner is raised on the mountains, you will see it, and when a trumpet sounds, you will hear it. This is an important verse. What it means is, is God is about to say he's going to do something in Cush to rescue, redeem, and save. And what he wants everybody to know is, look, when I act in one region of the world, it's a sign and a blessing to all peoples everywhere. That God is a God who does not play favorites. God is a God who loves all people. And he says, pay attention. When I act for a people, it's a sign to all, everybody on the face of the earth. Well, what's he going to do? Verses 4 to 6. This is what the Lord says to me. I will remain quiet and look on, will look on from my dwelling place like shimmering heat in the sunshine, like a cloud of dew in the heat of harvest. For before the harvest, when the blossom is gone and the flower becomes a ripening grape, he will cut off the shoots with pruning knives and cut down and take away the spreading branches. They will all be left to the mountain birds of prey and to the wild animals, and the birds will feed on them all summer, the wild animals all winter. Now, it's a little confusing to understand exactly what's going on here, but like I said before, we believe that Cush has been invaded by Assyria. And what's happening in verses 4 to 6 is that God is seated on his throne and he's watching with his eyes exactly what's going on. And he says, I will bring rescue and salvation. And the things that are getting cut off and all that stuff. He's talking about the invading nation. And the point is, is that God has his eyes fixed on Cush. Again, sometimes we think, especially in the Old Testament, that all God cares about is Israel, that he's looking at Israel, and that all the other nations and all the other peoples of the world, he kind of sees under the corner of his eye. Isaiah 18 says that is not the case. God's eyes are fixed directly on Cush, that he sees those of African descent, and he realizes that they are in trouble, and he has purposed to rescue them. I will come. I see what you're going through. I will come and rescue you. Verse 7. What will be the result of God working mighty act in Africa? At that, at that time, verse 7, gifts will be brought to the Lord Almighty from a people tall and smooth-skinned, from a people feared far and wide, an aggressive nation of strange speech whose land is divided by rivers. The gifts will be brought to Mount Zion, the place of the name of the Lord Almighty. This is a prophecy. God says, when I act in Africa to bless those black Africans and rescue them from what they're going through, they will respond with praise to God for what they've done. They will come to Jerusalem and they will offer gifts to say thank you to God for his love and his faithfulness. Far from being cursed by God, Isaiah 18 shows us that God's eyes are fixed on Africa. 
that God sees their suffering. And not just as it relates to Israel. Israel's not in this chapter at all. They're not here at all. He is looking at Cush and he sees them and says, I will rescue you. I am your salvation. And when I rescue you, you will come and offer gifts. And you will say thank you. And you will know that it was the Lord who rescued you. Well, it's not just Africans. It's also Egyptians. Look over in Isaiah 19. We're going to look in verse 19 of chapter 19. In that day, there will be an altar to the Lord in the heart of what? Egypt, an altar to the Lord in the heart of Egypt and a monument to the Lord at its border. It will be a sign and a witness to the Lord Almighty in the land of Egypt. When they cry out to the Lord because of their oppressors, he will send them a savior and defender. Who's crying out? The Egyptians. And who does God send? A savior and defender for the Egyptians. And he will rescue them. So the Lord will make himself known to the Egyptians, and in that day they will acknowledge the Lord. They will worship with sacrifices and grain offerings. They will make vows to the Lord and keep them. The Lord will strike Egypt with a plague, and he will strike them and heal them. They will turn to the Lord, and he will respond to their pleas and heal them. Not only does God have his eye on black Africans, God has his eye as well on Middle Eastern Egyptians. And he sees them. And he says, I will rescue you and you will worship me. But it's not just Africans and Egyptians. It's also Assyrians. Verse 23. In that day there will be a highway from Egypt to Assyria. The Assyrians will go to Egypt and the Egyptians to Assyria. The Egyptians and Assyrians will worship together. In that day, Israel will be the third, along with Egypt and Assyria, a blessing on the earth. Now listen to this verse. The Lord Almighty will bless them, saying, Blessed be Egypt, my people, Assyria, my handiwork, and Israel, my inheritance. Do you see what the Lord is saying? It is not that Israel is his favorite nation. God loves Africans, Egyptians, Assyrians, Koreans, Americans, Brazilians, that God has his eye on all the peoples of the world. There is a country that God picked to have his Messiah and Savior come from. Jesus is not Syrian or Chinese or African. He's Jewish. But he is first and foremost human. And he became a Jewish human, not just to save Israel, but because God loves all the peoples of the earth. Does that make sense? It reminds me of what God said himself in Amos 9, verse 7. Look at this passage with me. Now, pay close attention to this. Are you Israelites... The, are, are not you Israelites the same to me as the Cushites? Do you hear what God is saying? Mm -hmm. To those who are African American, to those who are of African descent, do you hear God saying, I love you the same way I love the Jewish people? Yeah. 
There are no favorites with God. He himself wrote this. And he said, I see you and I know you and I love you. There is not a special people in God's heart. Are not you Israelites the same to me as the Cushites? Now watch this, declares the Lord. Did I not bring Israel up from Egypt? Now we know that story, right? God rescued Israel from Egypt, Moses, the book of Exodus, the whole deal. We know that. But look at this. Did I not bring Israel up from Egypt, the Philistines from Kaphtor and the Arameans from Ker? Well, where are those stories? They're not in the Bible. And that's John's point. Is, look, if we wrote down everything God did, where would you put all this stuff? Just because you don't know what he did. The Philistines? Yes, he rescued the Philistines. They have their own Exodus story. The Arameans? Those are Syrians. Yes, I'm Syrian. That's good news. We have a rescue story. I'm glad to hear that. But it continues, and hear me carefully. African Americans, who do you think rescued you from slavery in North America? What is God is trying to say here? It's not just the one story that you heard. I am at work in all the nations of the world. Koreans, Japanese, Russians. God is at work. And yes, not every one of those stories made it into the Bible. But God is a rescuing God. God is a saving God. God has his eye on all the peoples of the earth. Africans, Egyptians, Assyrians, and all the rest. Now, I told you that Isaiah 18, which is addressed to people of African descent especially, is a prophecy. Let me show you how that passage gets fulfilled just in part in the story of one black man. Please take your Bible and turn over to Acts chapter 8. Acts chapter 8, page 890. Remember, in Isaiah 18, God says, people of African descent will experience rescue from God, and as a result, they will come to Jerusalem with their gifts and their offerings. That's a prophecy. Acts 8, we're going to start in verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Candake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. Question, what color is this man's skin? It's black. He's Ethiopian. Question. Can he be a biological descendant of Abraham? No, he's African. He's Ethiopian. He's not Jewish. He's Ethiopian. Those are mutually exclusive categories. He is not a biological descendant of Abraham. What's he doing in Jerusalem? He's worshiping. Why? 
Because Isaiah 18 says that God's not just been at work in Israel. He's been at work in all the countries of the world. And as a result, people from those countries will go to Jerusalem because God will have revealed that he was the one who rescued them. What's this man doing there? He's there in fulfillment in part of Isaiah 18. He's offering a gift to God to say thank you for rescuing him. I don't know what his story is, but I do know the God who rescued him. And here's this man coming home from Jerusalem. He's going back from Jerusalem, back to Africa. And he's offered his gift and his thanks to God. Now watch what happens. And on, Verse 28. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot reading what? What's he reading? Isaiah. The book of Isaiah. Do you get it? The man has in his hands the very thing we're reading this morning. And you're like, is he in Isaiah 18? He's not. He's already gotten through Isaiah 18. He's later on in the book. He's in Isaiah 53. That's important. But here's a man, a black African, holding a book in his hands that affirms God's love for him and his people and his rescue. Verse 29, the spirit told Philip, Go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you are reading, Philip asked. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. Now, listen, if you don't know what's going on in Isaiah, you are not the first people. <laughs> I read that thing and I think, what in the world are we talking about? This is his experience too. It's a tough book. And he's reading through these passages like, what in the world is happening here? But once somebody explains it, you begin to realize, my goodness, Lord, mm -hmm. what you are telling is amazing. And so Philip shows up and he says he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. It's from Isaiah 53. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news of Jesus. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water and the eunuch said, look, here is water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way doing what? Rejoicing. All right. Please understand what's going on here. In Isaiah 18, not only does God not say that black people are not cursed, he says that his eye is fixed on those of African descent, and Egyptians, and Assyrians, and Koreans, and Americans. His eye is fixed on those of African descent and he says there will come a day when people will come to Jerusalem and bring me offerings and here comes a black Ethiopian man in fulfillment to that prophecy and God says, I see you. Do you understand that Philip wasn't on some other business? He's there for this man and God sent him there. He's not just that happened to run into him on the road. God said, there's a black man going home from Jerusalem and he needs to know about Jesus. And so Philip shows up 
And what are the odds that this black Ethiopian just happens to be reading the passage that says Jesus was denied justice, that he suffered oppression, that he was part of a rejected people. And God uses that truth about Jesus to lead this black Ethiopian to faith. And God's eye is on him for his good. And he says, I see you. Far, far from some idea that people of African descent are of an inferior or servile peoplehood. Nothing could be further from the truth. When God looks at Africans, when God looks at Russians, when God looks at Germans, when God looks at the British, he sees the people that he loves. Now, what do we do with this teaching? Four things I'd like to suggest for us to think about this morning. Number one. God is the savior of all who are of African descent. He's also the savior of all who are French, of all who are Australian, of all who are Venezuelan. God is the rescuer of the peoples of the earth. And that when you think about any good thing that's happened for any people group, when you think about the end of African-American slavery in North America, when you think about the Berlin Wall coming down, when you think about what God has been doing, he is the one to be praised and honored and glorified. Martin Luther King Jr. at the end of his I Have a Dream speech says, free at last, free at last, Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. Look, we're grateful for Abraham Lincoln, and we're grateful for the abolitionists, and we're grateful for all those people who the Spirit prompted to be involved in ending slavery, but at the end of the day, the person who gets the glory for fixing that problem is God, and he's the one to be praised, and it doesn't mean there aren't still issues going on, but the reason we are where we are and no longer having slavery is because God is a rescuing, saving God. Amen. That he sees his people in suffering and he responds to the prayers of those who were in such agony, and he stepped in and he acted. Mm-hmm. And the proper response is praise. Amen. Amen. Thank God Almighty. He's the one who's done this. Number two, it's not just African Americans who are supposed to celebrate what God's done in ending slavery. It's not just people of the former Soviet Union who are supposed to celebrate what God did in bringing down the Berlin Wall. It's not just people in Korea who are supposed to celebrate the freedom they experienced from the oppression of Japanese. When God does something for one people, it is a banner to all people that he is a God of love and of power. 
and that you and I, no matter the color of your skin, can celebrate whatever it is that God has done to bring salvation and rescue to the peoples of the earth. Please, it is not that God has one nation that he's interested in. And whether you think that nation is Israel or America, it's simply not how it works. God's eyes are fixed on all the peoples of the earth. And when he rescues one of them, we all should celebrate because that's our God. That's our father. It's our father who did that in America to end slavery. It's our father who did that in Russia and the Soviet Union. It's our father who's been at work in the Far East. And when you see him work, you stop and say, thank God that's my God. That my God and your God is Lord of all. Number three. Regardless of what color your skin is, regardless of what your ethnicity is, please hear, the God of the universe has his eye fixed on you. He sees you. He's not looking in another direction and happen to catch you out of the corner of his eye. He sees you. There is a song that resonates not only with African Americans, but I think with all people who hear it. His eye is on the sparrow and I know he watches me. Think about this. Here is a black Ethiopian on his way home from Jerusalem. God sees him. He sends Philip there to share the gospel with him so that he might be rescued. And what you and I need to understand is he sees you in your suffering, in your struggle, in whatever you've experienced from a racism point of view or an abuse point of view or a neglect point of view. Now listen, he also sees your sins. He also sees the ways that you and I have not responded to injustice in the right way. He also sees the ways in which we have turned our backs on him. He also sees the ways in which we've not been the people that he's wanted us to, to be. But his eye is on us to bless us. Not to curse us. Fourth and finally, please hear the good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Another African-American spiritual, nobody knows the trouble I've seen, nobody knows but Jesus. What are the odds? that the passage that this Ethiopian happens to be in is a passage that says, in his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. That's Jesus' experience. And he went through that experience so he could save all people, regardless of the injustices and the humiliations and the oppressions that you've had at the hands of people of a different race at the hands of government, at the hands of business, at the hands of the capitalistic systems of the world, at the hands of communism or socialism, whatever injustices you or I have experienced as Americans or as Africans or as Chinese or whatever experience we've had, Jesus came to set us free from those things. He knows the trouble that we're going through. eye is fixed on us. See, the truth of the matter is, 
African descendants of Ham are not specifically cursed. All humans are cursed with sin. All of us have a future that is death. All of us experience the injustice and the oppression in different varying degrees simply from the fact that this world is full of sin. But God, when the time was right, sent his son Jesus, a Jewish man, to bring blessing to the whole world. And that he himself knows what it's like to have no justice, to be oppressed, to be abused, to be killed, and to be left for dead. But God raised this Jesus from the dead so that through Jesus, he can see you on whatever road you're on and he can walk alongside of you and say, I've come to give you help. The horror of the Hamitic curse interpretation of Genesis 9 is not only is it a bad interpretation of the passage, it so obscures the written witness of how God feels about Africans, Egyptians, Assyrians, and all the peoples of the world. God does not play favorites. In his mind, there is neither Jew nor Greek, black nor white, Korean, African, Brazilian, American, we are all seen, known, and loved equally by God. Amen. Let's pray together. Lord, I pray for your forgiveness. We have obscured this truth about you. We've done it through our teaching, through our actions, through our attitudes, every one of us. Lord, we have somehow given the impression uh, that you are for one group of people more than another. That you somehow love the beautiful, the powerful, the talkative, the moral, the whomever more than others. Lord, we don't understand what it's like for you to be a God who has his eye fixed on every person. Lord, that each person in this room this morning, you see them. God, I pray especially for those of African descent in this room this morning, for the ways in which they may have experienced in this world the lies or the untruth that somehow they are less than because of the color of their skin or the background that they come from. Lord, only through your word of truth can you clear away those lies. I pray for those here uh, Lord God, who through experiences of abuse, rejection by parents, unpopularity at school, health problems, whatever, have determined that you no longer are watching them or that you don't care. Please, Lord, would you show us that nothing could be further from the truth. Help us to see that you are a God who has his eye on us all the time for our good. Lord, for any who are here this morning, who have not yet accepted this Jesus, who was humiliated and oppressed and denied injustice so that we might have salvation. Might they, might they realize that there is no better expression of your love than the fact that you became a human to save all of humanity. 
God, who is like you? You are the savior of the whole world. We celebrate and praise your name for what you've done here among us and throughout the world. If only, Lord, we could see all that you have done. If we could know the stories. Lord God, your praise, heaven will be filled with your praises for all of eternity. We thank you and add our praise to those in Jesus' name. Amen.